Speaking of sad, <laughs> welcome to Mr. Welcome to Mr. Red. Oh, are you? <laughs> I was like, backing it. Are you really doing it right now? I was. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mysteretical, where we take a theoretical approach to solving mysteries. So take a deep breath as we dive into the recent cases of Tracy Jeanrou, Deanna Wirtz, Ashley Simpson, Caitlin Potts, and Nicole Bell. They didn't have like a full name, so I just named for them all. Who? <laughs> for who? Oh, for, for the, the five for missing like girls. The, you should name it. This should be you. I don't. I don't feel like it's my place. <laughs> I named mine last, my last one. I guess you did. I don't know. It's your place. You put this together. But they do, a lot of people talk about them. They just don't have like a, an official. A name. Yeah. Mono, monogram? Monologue? Mono. <laughs> Not a monologue. It's a mono, mono something. Mono. mono chromatic. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If I think of one, I'll redo it. Yeah, I'll tell you when I think of it, too. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'll name like, it for you. Yeah, my brain, this coffee is not going to help me, so. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll just make more, yes. Um, so I chose this case because it's a recent and ongoing, I wrote investigation, but upon further research, I mean, it is still open and ongoing and recent within the last couple of years. Mm. Um, but there are current protests and things happening in regards to it, which I talk about at the end. November is National Native American Heritage Month, like we talked about, although in Canada, Canada National Indigenous History Month is in June. But I like to say that they're here every day. So you don't need a month. Same with Black History Month. Like you don't need just a month. Yeah. It's like great that they have a focus, but right. they're always here. And yeah. you should always be learning. Exactly. I did read up a little bit on ancestor guilt and I want to talk about it a little bit. Um, because I have it. Is that kind of what I reviewed last time? How, like, the generations you pass it on and stuff? Is that what you mean by ancestor guilt? Kind of. It's kind of like, I think about it like how I mentioned that I can trace my family back to the Mayflower. And it's like, my I understand that my family has a hand in genocide to a sense. Or, like, right. I have family that's French and French were slave traders. My family could have brought Africans to Haiti. You know right. what I mean? Like there's, or, or even here or wherever. So it's just having like a, it's like having a sense that you need to write something because of something your ancestors did. Right. Which reading up on it, it's a healthy thing to have because guilt is something that makes us human. It makes us compassionate and have, yeah. it's just doing it to a point where it's like not like, I'm not doing this because I want people to see me doing it. You know what right. I mean? Like, I want to give a voice because I realize that my ancestors had a hand in a lot of fuckery that's going on to this day. Um, right. And could have physically actually killed people or enslaved them or had slaves or whatever. And me wanting to take a step to right the wrongs that they did 200 years ago, 400 years ago or whatever. Right. So it's just like knowing you ancestor guilt is like a healthy thing. It's just doing it for the right reasons. Cause I think the articles I was reading was a lot of people do it for like their social media. Right. You know? I hate that. Especially during mm -hmm. the black lives matter protests when like people would just show up with a sign, hop out, take a quick pick and then hop back in their car and be done. Exactly. Or even I the black square. That. Yeah. Like people would just post right. the black square and then nothing else. And it's like, hi. And not even understand the true meaning behind it or like why you were supposed mm -hmm. to do it. That pisses me off. Yep. So it's the same, it's the same ideal, even with Native Americans, um, or we're talking about Native Canadians, because my case is in Canada. Yeah. Did, I do want to have a disclaimer about pronunciation and like political correctness and whatever, because I realized that my ancestors are on the other side of this story, and I 
it's not necessarily my story to tell, but I think we have created a platform that we should talk about these things. Yes. And you and I are always growing and we're trying to be as correct as possible, even if it's a German one and we're trying to pronounce everything correct. Sometimes you just can't find it. So I tried really hard to find like YouTube of native people saying their tribes names and language names and stuff to be yeah. correct. So if I'm wrong, if you feel the need to correct me, please do so. I'm into being, to learning. We, Just don't be yeah, rude about we're it. We're very open to learning. <laughs> yeah. Very open to being educated. Yes. But if you're going to be like a dick about it. Don't even bother. Just fuck off. <laughs> we're going to ignore you. Delete. Block. Yep. <laughs> no room for dickness. No. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Canadian native relations. I did a lot of research because I was like, in America, I have a general, like I know a little bit about what's going on. I know that, you know, there's reservations. I know it's federal land. I know about a little bit about tribal law and like how the justice system works in America and whatever. I knew absolutely nothing about Canada. I don't know why we don't learn a little more about Canada in like elementary school or anything. We, I learned nothing about Canada. I knew I learned more in the last like three days than I've ever known about Canada. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I know about Canada is Justin Trudeau. (laughs) The prime minister. Yes. Yeah. But he's problematic too. Anyway. So handsome though. I know. (laughs) And they do hockey and like. I love hockey. That's my favorite sport. Hockey is when I, I've only gone to like a couple sports games ever in my life. Football is too start stop for me. I can't yeah. get into it. I like yeah. look away and you're in a pile and then you're taking 30 minutes to like reset up. I'm over it. But I really enjoy watching hockey. I think cause they're just angry and there's always a fight. <laughs> yeah. My aunt and I had a hockey game. Oh my gosh, we are, we have so much fun at hockey games. She loves hockey, so she'll go. She's traveled like up to all these different um, state rinks, 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 yeah, and like all like all over. And she has seen like almost every team. She loves hockey, and us at hockey games together, we keep telling yeah. each other we're gonna get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I do ever it. get arrested, it will be with her. My dad, because he builds, you know, stadiums and stuff, he did rebuild. It used to be when I was little in Boston, it was the Fleet Center, which is where the Celtics and the Bruins play. Yeah. So he rebuilt it into the garden that we all know now. But he, their Christmas parties, like business Christmas parties, were ice skating. So I've actually Ooh. skated on the Boston Bruins rink for like a couple years when I was really I mean I skated I held my parents hands or my brother and my sister's hands and they like dragged me on my skates but yeah <laughs> my company last year we did ice skating and it was a lot of fun in Ooh. Santa Monica it was so it was so much fun it was cute I'm not good at it at all. oh no oh no I'm not at all I fell so many times I ate it so many oh and it hurts because it's ice yeah we went <laughs> drinking afterwards so I felt so much better I bet <laughs> I'll, I'll go skiing our company retreat will be like yeah <laughs> can go skiing or just eat it I, I'd love to I haven't been skiing in years we can. I have my board and everything. I just don't have snow pants or a jacket. I don't have anything, anything. so I would just need to figure Rent. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so let's learn about Canada because we don't let's know do anything. It. Okay. Except for that it's north. And Justin. <laughs> and Justin Trudeau. And Justin. <laughs> so Canada is still under the crown's rule, under the monarchy, but they have a governor general who personally represents the queen. So basically someone that's like, I'm standing in for the queen. He's like the con- consulate? Kind of. It's, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just weird. Why, why aren't they free? I don't know. Give it up, England. Seriously. Right? It's English? <laughs> it's English? English. Yeah. yeah, they're under the monarchy. Queen Elizabeth II. Dang. The prime minister, Justin Trudeau, is selected by the governor general, so the queen, basically. Um, but they must also have the confidence of the elected House of Commons. So he's not voted into office at all. He's basically... Like he is, but by voted. the government. Yeah. Hmm. And then I think it's the... Ho- I, I didn't fully go into it because I was like, okay, it's kind of like British 
setup. Uh, well, it is because it is, but right. like, I think you vote for parliamentary members. And yeah. And they vote them in and they vote. So in a way, like you're hoping that they choose what's right for you. Right. Yeah. Basically. I think that's how, cause I know they have a democracy, but I don't know to what, to what extent. Yeah. Degree. Yeah. Um, First Nation. So we're going to talk about Native Americans a little bit. They have like three different subgroups of me. I don't want to call them that. Um, it, there's a word. There's a word. It's a culture. Yeah. Uh, subcultures kind of. Yeah. Subculture kind of, of Native American, well, Native Canadians. So um, First Nations are the predominant Natives south of the Arctic Circle. And they are made up of many different tribes that vary in language, culture, and history. The Inuit are tribes that inhabit the Arctic. So Greenland, Canada, and Alaska, which is U.S. Yep. I don't know where Iceland fits into that. I know that there are natives in Iceland, but I don't know what they're... And Iceland is part of Europe. So but that's far, isn't it? Greenland and Iceland, isn't that far from Canada? Or no, is it like... No, Iceland's like... Right there? We're I really see. close to Iceland. I, I don't know I, I honestly don't know where Greenland is. I have no It's clue. right beside Iceland. It is? Yeah, it like... I. I don't know. There is something about the naming of it. Like Greenland was named Greenland to have some sort of people avoid it because, or no, Iceland was Iceland, but it's actually greener than Greenland. Yes. Because they didn't want people uh, landing like, there. Landing there, right. They wanted yeah. people to like steer away from it and go to Greenland instead because they wanted to keep the beautiful Greenland on Iceland. Right. And Iceland is supposed to be like gorgeous. 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 I would love to go there. Anyway, so the Inuit are the Arctic, and then the Métis. I'm only saying it like that because they say it's a French word, so I'm just going to pronounce it the French way. French. Are specific communities whose ancestors... Ancestors. Specific communities whose ancestry can be traced through the First Nations and European settlers, mostly the French, but there is a mix of Scottish too. So the Métis people mostly originated in the 1700s when the Scottish and French fur traders married native women. And they have a unique culture, identity, and way of life that differs from both Europeans and indigenous groups. And from my understanding, they're still considered natives and reserve the same rights as natives, although it's like too recent, like way too recent, than it, more recent than it should be. Um, and they even formed their own separate council from the Congress of Aboriginal Peoples in 1983. So if you ever watch the show Frontier, they have a lot of Métis people. That's Jason mm. Momoa, like kicking ass. So it's fun to watch. He's met. Is he part of that? He's Hawaiian oh, and wow. native. He is native. I think there was like some con like contest to him playing because he played like a Métis, a man that was like right. native and Scottish or Irish. Um, I don't remember. And there was some whatever because it was like he's native, but to what percent, you know, like what degree yeah. of native. Um, like have a native person play a native. Right. That's kind they of did, And they did have some. I think it did better than most. Okay. So but what about Dancing with Wolves? Do you remember that movie? Barely. Dances with Wolves? Dancing. I dances hate, with Wolves. I hate what's his name. Kevin Costner? Is that his yeah. name? Mm -hmm. He's so gross. Um, but anyway, I think that there were... I think that was like one of the biggest movies that had like, <laughs> let me look it up. Dances with Wolves. I mean, I always think of The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, which is. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they had a lot of um, Native Americans playing roles in that. Yeah. So that's great. I People think, need to do that. I think Frontier. Well, the, the, from like researching, the main issue is like, even in those old movies, like Dances with Wolves or like Blazing Saddles or any old Westerns where natives are in it, it's the, it's the way that they make them look or, or the cast on Frontier looks very white. I mean, it's a lot of Irish, Scottish and French people. I see. Like, cause it's about the fur trade. So it's like the fur trade in Montreal versus the right natives right like the main native girl she is Métis. she is yeah she is. I, I um, saw her. yeah and he is somewhat and he's native hawaiian so he's native something yeah um the first inhabitants of canada arrived fourteen thousand years ago and the glaciers did whatever glaciers do and canada has been a 
country for 153 years. So once again, we are babies yeah. on this land. All natives, including First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, make up 4.9 of Canada's population, which is really small. Wow, yeah. In the late 1700s, the European Canadian government encouraged assimilation, which I hate that word, as an attempt to completely eradicate Indigenous culture and erase Indigenous history and turn it into Christian culture. Uh, it's, very, it's very similar to America. Back to this. Yep. Uh, the attempt came to a climax later in the late 1800s and early 1900s with the Gradual Civilization Act and the Indian Act, which focused on forcing the natives to accept European ideals of Christianity, sedentary living, agriculture, and education. The, they t I did pull from like a specific article that said uh, about residential schools, kind of like the ones in America, they were underfunded, overcrowded, and rampant with abuse, rape, neglect, and deaths of at least 3,200 Native children. Damn. And the last federally run residential school was closed in 1996. That's like 24 years ago. Yep. Because it wasn't like non-Indigenous people weren't even aware until the 1990s. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. Um, the Gradual Civilization Act was what it sounds like. It was an act that was voluntary, although I doubt it, that the native man could choose to become enfranchised if they were deemed of good character, literate in French and English or English, and was found to be sober, free from debt, and sufficiently intelligent at handling his own life, which whatever. He could yeah choose a, he would choose a different name and i wrote erasure 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 because you're erasing their everything um and their wives and children would become enfranchised as well this negates their native status completely yeah unless the wife remarried into the tribe but i was reading that the children couldn't regain their status or they could to a degree but any of their children wouldn't have status Right. Natives. So it's like if you were a dad and you did it, you just like <laughs> fucked your whole family line basically for being in right. the native. Until 1960, a native could only vote in federal elections by doing this. So you could, they could not vote until 19, up until 1960, unless they did this and like erased right. all of their culture. I think I read, I don't know if I put it in here, only one person did it. Yeah. The Indian Act is an act of parliament concerning registered natives and the system of reserves, like reservations on America, it's protected land. It was passed in 1876 and is still in practice today, although it has been amended many times. It covers governance, land, governess, not governess, your favorite. Right, <laughs> not my future job. <laughs> governance, <laughs> land, healthcare, education, and different regulations on reserves. And this act also dismantled native people's governance systems because it imposed political systems that mirrored Western models. Mm -hmm. Then at the same time, subordinated them to the Canadian state. And this impeded the ability of indigenous people's right to sovereignty. Um, Which they are, it wasn't as clear cut. Like when you Google a native American reservations, are they sovereign? It's like, yes. Like you get the straight answer. And I'm pretty sure that, they're sovereign and have yeah. their own way of structuring things, but it's not as clear cut and written as it is here. Then I did a little bit on missing and murdered indigenous women. So this quote is directly from nativewomenswilderness.org. I'm going to quote directly. The numbers are staggering. Our women and girls are being taken from us in an alarming way. Our women are murdered at a rate of 10 times higher than other ethnicities, and it's the third leading cause of death for our women by the Centers for Disease Control. The majority of these murders are committed by non-Native people on, non on Native-owned land. Because of the lack of communication between state, local, and tribal law enforcement, it's difficult to begin the investigation process. That is about America. I was going to say... It's about America, yeah. but still, it's... It's the same. Right. It's pretty much the same. They just haven't acknowledged it, I guess, right. governmentally. Well, and I think, again, it's all kind of hard to research the Canadian side. Um, it sounds like, because a lot of the ones in America are like, they have 
oil drilling and stuff happening on native land. So it's white men that are living on native land because they're, you know, working or whatever, where in Canada, I don't think it's legal for a non-native to live on native land unless it's under special circumstances because they have oil pipelines and stuff too, which is one of the reasons Trudeau is problematic. I see. Okay. He like talks about, being for natives and then he okays pipelines through their going straight land. through and like it doesn't even matter if it's going mm-hmm. through their homes or whatever he's just like yeah that's yeah. every that needs to stop yes and he's to suffer multiple reasons Fossil yeah fuels not need only to go right, away exactly exactly <laughs> anyway <laughs> this is again this is america but mm-hmm. 5712 is the number of known incidents of missing and murder- native- murdered native american women in 2016 alone the number is too high um yeah. 84% of native women have experienced violence in their lifetime murdered and missing indigenous women uses the official color oh so this i got this off their website cuz i thought it was cool cuz i know there's like the red dress um like they always wear red not always, but that's like the color of their stance for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Um, kind of like a, a yellow bow. Is for, right. Okay. Yeah, or like the, the live strong. <laughs> Fuck that. that was, that's a scam and all in itself. That's like free MAGA. <laughs> anyway, um, they use the official color red for their campaign for deep reasoning. The native women's wilderness site that I was on states that in various tribes, red is known to be the only color spirits see. It is hoped that by wearing red, oh. we can call back the missing girls of our women and children so we can lay them to rest. That's so Isn't that sweet. Cool? Isn't that, that is cool? so sweet. I love that. I do too. Um, on one of their campaign designs for No More Stolen Sisters, they have used another deep meaning symbol. So they have, it's a red shirt with a white, um, like a silhouette of yeah. a woman with a tear, a turquoise teardrop shaped earring. Aww. And they say that turquoise is worn by, for protection by many tribes to ward yeah. off evil spirits, but it's also a symbol of strength and prosperity. May our women and children prosper and be safe. I love that. I know. Now I can talk about Canada because I did find some Canadian percentages and stuff in canada violent crimes against indigenous people are more than double that of non-indigenous people as of 2014 indigenous people make up 4.9 of the canadian population they make up 24 percent of all homicide victims in 2017 it is six times higher and they're and they are at four percent of the population Mm -hmm. but uh, when it comes to crime Homicide. Homicide. They're 24%. It is of the homicide. Six times higher than non-indigenous people. That is insane. And in 2017, it was increased by 8% from 2016. So it was lower in 2016 and jumped like yeah. It's yeah. Um indigenous women are victims of violent crimes, double the amount of victims double the amount of victims crimes yeah who wrote this you did (laughs) there's a typo in there and i don't know how to fix it bless you so indigenous women are victims of violent crimes double the amount of that of which are committed against indigenous men and close to triple of non-indigenous women does that make sense yeah (laughs) okay um let's see okay Indigenous women reported a sexual assault rate of 115 per 1,000 people. Non-Indigenous women report a rate of 35 per 1,000 people, which is really, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, There is a discussion of risk factors, including childhood abuse, perceiving social disorder in one's neighborhood, homelessness, drug use, or fair, fair slash poor mental health. However, these risk factors do not necessarily are not necessarily used to explain the risk factors among indigenous women. So it's not solely on there. Yeah. Um, in 2017, 32% increase of homicides against indigenous women and the rate for men has increased consistently since 2014. The rate against men has of of uh homicides against yeah indigenous. Men. I see. 
-hmm. Okay. On the other side of the spectrum, more than 38% of people accused of homicide by police are indigenous. The rate of native people accused of murder in 2017 was 12 times higher than non-natives. Now, question, and I don't think that we have the statistic anywhere, but how many of them were proven innocent? I don't know. Do we have any statistics on like how many people were arrested even in the 60s, 70s, anytime, and have been proven innocent? Right. And I don't think that we do because I don't think anyone is fighting to figure out if they actually were innocent or not. Right. Or solve the crimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I bet there isn't. That's sad. Yeah. I told you, innocent people in jail makes my heart hurt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hurts my feelings. Um, Statistics Canada. It's not that statistic. It's a different one. Yeah. Um, did a study about individuals recontact with police after being in the criminal justice system in Saskatchewan. So like second offenders? Yeah. Okay. Um, they found that indigenous people are 80% more likely to have recontact with police than non-indigenous, which is at 57%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're almost done with all this. We're fine. No, I think that it's really riveting and like interesting and eye opening to like see these, to hear yeah. about these statistics. And same with like just it being Canadian and not American. Cause I was like, right. I know nothing. And I had no jillion tabs open. And I was so happy as I started closing them. <laughs> I yeah. Went, oh, it stressed me out. Um, no, but cleaning, like closing your tabs though, feels so good. It does. Cause I was like checking, it's like checking things off of a to do list. So right. Like, okay. I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. Right. Um, According to First Nation Drum, so I also tried to find like native news uh -huh. instead of relying on the Canadian government, which I right. am skeptical about. Um, yeah, I did. That's what I did with mine. I found some Indian and some uh, yeah. governmental and I kind of like found the line in between and could see through into what actually, yeah. you know, was going on. Yeah, that's what I tried to do. There's only so much, though. Yeah. <laughs> So according to First Nation Drum, which is Canada's largest native newspaper, Thomas Fitzgerald wrote, the denial of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis women right to live under natural law began with the denial of the right to culture. Foreigners under the guise of colonialism stole indigenous people's land and resources, targeting for assimilation through forced participation in inhumane programs like residential schools, he called it a theater of abuse, 60s scoop, which I'll talk about, and child welfare systems were government-sanctioned programs all. The 60s scoop was the name for a series of policies by provincial child welfare authorities in the mid-1950s. Thousands of indigenous children were taken from their families and placed into foster homes before they were adopted by white families across the Canada and the U.S. Children lost their names, languages, and connection to their heritage and culture, and many were abused and made to feel ashamed of who they were. He goes on to explain that Canada has denied Indigenous women their right to health through forced relocations, denial of food security, forced sterilization, lack of access to mental health services and addictions treatment, and overall interference with existing Indigenous health systems. A natural right to security has been denied by the lack of opportunity in areas such as education, employment, and a failure to provide a basic standard of living. It's a mouthful. Uh, yeah. He goes on to explain that these acts have been made against women through both law enforcement and legisla legislation. A report by Métis scholar and activist Howard Adams found that due to the past abuse inflicted on indigenous women by police, which is the Mounties, Canadian Mounted Royal Police, has spread throughout modern contact between indigenous women and Canadian police, which are based on a system of suspicion and distrust. I have linked to this article, which has calls to action regarding how we can move in the right direction through federal, judicial, governmental, and personal and cultural ways. So if anyone wants to look at that, it has like actual things that can be fixed on different levels. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Moving on, criminal justice system in regards to the native people of Canada. I titled it that, but I couldn't find a lot. <laughs> um. In reading through the Government of Canada website, I did note that the two ministers and two parliamentary secretaries regarding Crown Indigenous relations, none of them are Native. The two minutes, there are two white women, so one of the ministers is 
is a white woman. The other one's a, a white man. A Tamil lawyer from Sri Lanka is the, one of the parliamentary secretaries and another white woman. And I don't know anything about the policies they have put into place or what kind of work they really do, but I'm already sus. Yeah. <laughs> because if your department is called the Crown Indigenous Relations, why aren't there indigenous people in it? But yeah, you have to. You have to. It doesn't make sense. Calling you out, Canada. Get it together. Uh-huh. Supposed to be a good country. Come on, Justin. <laughs> uh-huh. Come on, Queen. Yeah. Just your Highness, um, or whoever your person that stands in for you is. I, I think, in my opinion, that. the whole monarchy needs to go. I think that too, but I think a lot of British people like having a monarchy. I agree. I think that it's going to fade out, just like it did everywhere else. In Europe, I think that England is one of the, like, the oldest and longest monarchies out right now. Or still out, or whatever. And I, I feel like Harry and Meghan leaving. Yeah. It's like a step in the right direction. I, I think know. it is. But like, he's, what, fourth in line to the throne anyway? Yeah. Because it's like Prince, is it Philip? Is he next? Who's, oh God! No, isn't that the like? No, who's pedophile? Diana's Diana's husband? That's Andrew. Diana's ex-husband, Charles. Philip. Charles. Charles. But he's going. He's next in line. He's but I think next. he's going to pass. He's already said he's I'm going to pass. pass to um, William. Yeah. And then it's George, George. And then it's Harry. So yeah, Harry left, but he's fourth in line. Yeah. And George. Could... And George is four. <laughs> yeah. Six, however old he is. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I also felt really skeptical reading most government pages regarding indigenous relations with Canada or America because they tend to lean towards really positive language, which I felt was inaccurate. Yeah. Um, from what I can gather, police rely, I think they, I think everything goes through the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So I don't think they have like the tribal at least to a legal standpoint, they don't have like the tribal law, judicial law and federal law, the way that America does. Police rely on racial stereotypes and do not even bother searching for missing indigenous women. Right. They will come home. They're probably partying and they make similar comments. Any true crime head knows that the first 48 hours are the most detrimental to finding uh-huh. someone alive, which like, if it's the most detrimental to finding someone alive in America, why do you have to wait 48 hours to <laughs> report that someone's missing? Right. I it's hate It's gross. That. I hate it. Ugh. Okay. Have you um, heard the CBC podcast? No. By David Ridgen. He has, um, I think, I want to say it's called Missing and Murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his podcast and it's all about, um, missing and murdered indigenous women. There is a, I linked one to my resource page. Um, David Ridgen does an amazing job and like they, he actually goes to the towns and talks to them and, uh, talks oh, cool. to their family. yeah, like it's so good. I highly, highly recommend it. I want to say it's called missing and murdered. Missing and murdered sounds familiar to me. And there's one other one that he does. I want to say he has two podcasts out. And one is like, they're all long form and everything. They're really good. I just highly recommend them. There's um, one that I found on one website and I started listening to it, um, but I didn't really have time. Let me find it. The Truth Sharing Podcasts. Uh, um, I haven't heard of that. It's called... Partage de vérité, which oh, is, I love that. <laughs> it is, it is in English because I was like, because all their names are like in French, and I was yeah, like, yeah, like, is come it on. gonna be French? But when they speak French in it, it's translated to English. Yeah. Um, so okay. it is an English podcast, but it's similar. I mean, I haven't fully listened to it, but it was just one that I found, and it sounds like it's all interviews and yeah, people talking. So. Obviously, that's what a podcast is, is people talking, but. <laughs> All right, let's get into the case. Let's do it. I apologize for any pronunciations. I worked really hard to make sure I knew how to say it. The sec, mm, <laughs> I'm already doubting myself. The Sequetbic um, people, sometimes known as the Shushwap. Uh-huh. 
the only video I could find of them saying shoe swap was swap, but I don't, I feel like that's wrong, but I don't know. Is a nation of 17 bands. They currently occupy the south central part of British Columbia, Canada. The ancestors lived in the interior of British Columbia for 10,000 plus years, like at the least 10,000 years. The bands were separate, but they shared a common language, culture, and belief system. They're part of the First Nations. In British Columbia, the small amount of land treaties between the indigenous people and the colonists is a small fraction of land, and land rights are contentious. And then I'm, it's like kind of all these crimes kind of happen on the border of two territories. So the I'm going to look up how to say this one again because I, I don't remember. But it's spelled S-Y-L-I-A. S-Y-I-L-X, Sioux. Um, so the Sioux people, I see I said it wrong, the Sioux people of the Okanagan Nation. The Okanagan Nation is made up of several bands which share the same language, culture, and customs. They are a distinct sovereign nation. Okanagan land is touching Sequetmik land. So the crime is, it's the articles were just kind of like all over the place. Um, it's all in this same region though. So it's like the North Okanagan land and like a little bit of the South Sequetmik land, I think. Salmon Arm is a town. It's located on the traditional and unceded territory of the Sequetmik people. Um, Vernon, Canada is located on traditional and unceded territory of the Sioux Okanagan territory people. I don't mm. Salmon Arm in 2016 had a population of 17,706 and rests along Shuswap Lake where the Salmon River empties into the lake. And Salmon Arm is a 286-mile drive from Vancouver. There's a 75-kilometer stretch of highway, which is 97A, which is about 47 miles for us Americans that are the only dumb people that don't use the metric system. Right. Why do we use the system we use? <laughs> doesn't theirs is like in hundreds and thousands and i would like, like to learn their system Ugh. i wish i know they they never attempted to teach it to us which is shitty i know it's all in hundreds and thousands like it makes it easy where like our mile is what five thousand five hundred and twenty i don't even know but yeah it's all evens yeah evens, so evens. theirs makes sense but then like converting it i was like can you because she kept trying to convert it into the way i know and i was like right teach me like I'm five I'm five and I know nothing yeah I think that would be easier than me trying to convert my stupid like 47 miles equals 75 kilometers it's weird make the metric system great again yes <laughs> <laughs> we should make hats yeah <laughs> so um between this highway is between Vernon and Sycamus where five women have vanished in a span of 20 months so I'm going to talk about the five girls Okay. Women. They're women. Um, Caitlin Potts was 27 at the time of her disappearance. She was from the Samson Cree First Nation in Masquachese. I think it's Masquachese, Alberta. She is survived by her mother, three siblings, and her young son. I don't name any family members or anything like that because obviously this is very sensitive and everything and I don't want anyone to be bothered yeah <laughs> um, so I just named her name um what was I gonna I was gonna say something oh she I think she might be the one native girl in this group of five but I just didn't she was the only one that it was clear that she was part of the Samson Cree First Nation so I'm not positive Caitlin grew up in the foster care system until the age of 11 although her mother fought to have her children return to her care. While Caitlin lived in the system, her mother often visited her and her siblings, which caused Caitlin to develop attachment issues, although she tried her best to work through them as she got into adulthood. Um, Caitlin was called outgoing and bubbly. She lit up the room. She is described as someone who had the gift of making everyone around her feel comfortable. These traits led her to have a thriving social life when she was young and she was extremely close to her family and like went to church and did like an episode of Forensic Files. Yeah. Caitlin was in an on again, off again relationship with an abusive boyfriend named Jason. I don't know how to say his last name. It's H-N-A-T-I-U-K. 
Natyuk. I don't know if the N is silent or the H or if it's, you say both somehow. I'm not positive. She would often go to her sisters bruised and crying, and her sister even witnessed Caitlin being assaulted by Jason at the Forum Hotel in Edmonton, Alberta. Caitlin was living with her sister at the time. Jason moved to Enderby, British Columbia, in 2015, and Caitlin followed a short while after. At some point, her boyfriend Jason was arrested, and she went to stay at a woman's shelter in Salmon Arm. She worked at a Tim Hortons for a short time. Have you ever had Tim Hortons? We have Tim no. Hortons. It's Canadian, but we have it in Maine. It's like a... Sorry, Canada, but I think it's like a worse Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah. Not as good. I, they have some stuff that's good, but not... It's just like a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, she ended up back with Jason, but she was still living with a roommate that she met at the shelter, not with Jason himself in his home, apartment, home. I don't know what they lived in. Caitlin's last communication with her sister was on February 22nd, 2016. She stated she had texted Jason upset because he owed her money. She also explained that she was heading to Calgary on a ride she found in the classifieds, which is Kijiji, which is like Canadian, Canada's like Craigslist, I guess. I don't yeah. Know the word just looks weird because it's a lot of, it's like all eyes. <laughs> Kijiji. The story was corroborated by Caitlin's roommate who also claimed that Caitlin had told her that she met a stranger the previous evening on march 1st 2016 they filed a missing persons report it was extremely out of character for her to have no contact with her family they all say that all five of these girls it's like not normal for them to disappear for long periods of time without contacting their family right the rcmp got involved with caitlin's case 20 days after the missing persons report was filed it's a long time I would like be bothering them at three hours to get the F over there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. Yeah. Caitlin's last known location is unknown. A witness came forward to say they saw her in Enderby. Police say she was last seen near the Shuswap River. Police believe she disappeared from South Okan Okanagan due to her connections in Salmon Arm, Enderby, and Armstrong, which like, where this is salmon arm and enderby are in like north okanagan so i don't but it said south so i don't i don't know why yeah mm -hmm. in june of that year her family contacted the indigenous groups in british columbia who conducted their own search both the indigenous groups and caitlin's family had a lacking faith in the police their own search involved the sick people they searched enderby maple lake grin grind rod and along Shuswap river and they also did door-to-door -door canvassing so they like they were thorough where yeah. the police were we're like missing for those three months right uh, released over a year after her disappearance the police released cctv footage of caitlin entering the orchard place mall in Kelowna, 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 mm -hmm. Kelowna british columbia around 1 30 p.m on february 21st 2016 which is the day before she last spoke with her sister. She is seen wearing a three-quarter length jacket with a hood, light pants, black winter boots, and a hair tie. She was carrying a light brown leather handbag and had a white cell phone. And the RCMP's reasoning for releasing the footage was to provide a visual reminder of the young woman's disappearance a year after her. Yeah. Afternoon. It was only then that they stated that they suspected foul play. Um, they believe she never left the Okanagan region, but they don't have evidence to show if she did or didn't travel to Calgary. Because remember, she was trying to go to Calgary. Right. Jason, the boyfriend, was right. put on trial for the assault of Caitlin in May 2017. So I think the assault that the sister witnessed. Mm -hmm. He was found guilty of assault with a weapon and breaching a condition of recognizance, which I don't... Breaching a condition of a recog recognizance. I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I didn't yeah. look it up. There were two other files charged against him, but they were dropped. I couldn't figure out what the files were. Uh, he refuted how the media portrayed him um, and claimed that the media and the RCMP were treating him unfairly. Jason also claimed that Caitlin was never his girlfriend and that she never lived with him. He admitted she occasionally stayed with him. He also said that she had been working as an escort, but couldn't remember the last time he saw or spoke with her. 
the RCMP will not state if he is a suspect or not. Wow. <sighs> what a jerk. Yeah. Suspicious. Don't there be was... suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> but you're being, you're being suspicious. You're being <laughs> There are theories that for this one that are like really brief. So I just chucked them in this part instead of later. So one theory is that Jason is obviously involved. Right. Um, the other theory is the driver she met on Kijiji. Yeah. Okay. But that was all said through a text message. So. Right. Uh, a potential serial killer in the area and British Columbia is home to the highway of tears. It has okay. been mentioned that her disappearance could be related to the highways. Tragic past possible. Yeah. Very possible. Keep those in mind. Um, moving on to Ashley Simpson. Ashley Simpson was 32 when she disappeared from Salmon Arm area around April 30th, 2016. So this is just two months after Caitlin Potts disappeared. Ashley loved entertaining children. She dressed up as Miss Sweets the Clown. Um, she also loved hiking and gold panning, and she trained under her dad on how to be a cook. Ashley was living with her boyfriend in the Yankee Flats area. I wrote, <laughs> Ashley was living with her boyfriend in the Yankee Flats area with her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> in case no one knew um they lived in a trailer on yankee flats road which is parallel to salmon river road which is the main road that comes so uh, it's like salmon arm is here and then this is salmon river road and then this is the highway okay the the one from sick of sick of something to <laughs> on april 27th they argued about money ashley wanted to go to work with her father in ontario but didn't have the money to get there and after the argument, her boyfriend went back inside and went to sleep. And then when he woke up the next morning, Ashley was gone. Mysteriously missing. Mm -hmm. He told a friend and landlord that Ashley texted him to say she was leaving him and would send for her stuff. He assumed that she was heading back to Ontario to work with her dad and to attend her baby's her sister's baby shower. Not her baby's sister shower. That's nothing. Her sister's. <laughs> her baby's sister's shower. No contact was made with her family. She was declared missing on April 30th. So that's three days later. Well, two days later. Yeah. Um, her lack of contact with friends and family is extremely out of character. RCMP suspect foul play. Two and a half years after her disappearance, Ashley's driver's license was found in a sewage vacuum truck used by Sasquatch Crossing Lodge in Pink Mountain, British Columbia, which is near where she used to work. And it was just found during a routine cleaning. Her father believes her license was stolen long before her disappearance. And the RCMP didn't even want the ID since too many people had handled it. And plus it was found in, in shit. Like <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to like clean the shit out of it anyway. Literally clean the shit yeah. out of it anyway. So, so that erases all and uh, any evidence, potential any evidence is gone. Anyway. We're gonna move on to Deanna Wirtz. Deanna was 42 at the time of her disappearance, only three months after Ashley Simpson's disappearance. So this is in a short, a really short amount of time. Very, yeah. Deanna lived across the street. Well, okay. So one thing said she lived across the street from Ashley, um, but they at least lived on the same road. They lived on Yankee Flats Road near Enderby. So they lived in the same, even if they didn't live across the street, they were close. Right. Um, her sister said she was fine. She was great. She was happy. They even made plans to see one another like soon. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like she was planning on because people statistically people that plan on killing themselves don't make plans to see you. Right. Um, the last person to see Deanna was her husband on July 19th while he was leaving for work, leaving town for work. Her family stated that they spoke with her that very day on the phone. They mentioned that Deanna spoke about going on a hike, but then she disappeared. This wasn't out of the ordinary. She was an avid hiker. She was very comfortable. She lived there for 15 years, so she was comfortable with the area. But her, So her being gone for a day going on a hike wasn't abnormal, but her being missing for two weeks was extremely out of character and cause for concern. Right. Uh, the Shushwap search and rescue and police searched where she typically hiked for five days on foot by ATV and by helicopter. And I think they had police dogs as well. Deanna is described as 130 pounds, brown eyes, dark brown shoulder length hair, and a dark complexion. She was last seen in a gray t-shirt and gray cutoff sweats. 
The RCMP does not claim that the disappearance of Ashley and Deanna are related, and they do not assume that Deanna's disappearance is foul play. Possible. She could have fallen and, who knows, gotten attacked by a bear or a mountain lion. Who knows? Tracy Janaru. Tracy was only 18, so she's the youngest in this group. Tracy was only 18 at the time of her disappearance. Her family states that she had made bad choices but had stopped making them and was trying to fix her life at the time of her disappearance. Tracy was last seen on May 29th, 2017. So this is a little while after Deanna. Mm-hmm. But it's still less than a year. Several months before her disappearance, she was a passenger in a horrible car crash where the vehicle rolled over several times. This crash broke her spine and she underwent surgery that shortened her height by three inches. And her father explained what a profound impact the car crash made on her life, not just physically. She was trying to get her life back on track. Aww. I know. Tracy is described as loud, quick-witted, and funny. She grew up in Vernon, British Columbia, but fell in with a bad crowd as a teenager. She used drugs and worked as a sex worker for a period of time, but she had quit both by the time she went missing, which is what her father claimed. She was a volunteer at the SPCA and dreamed of becoming a veterinarian. And she had a really big passion for ducks. And there was like this whole super cute article about how like as a teenager, they would go to like the duck pond and she was like a five-year-old like regarding the ducks. And I was like, that's so cute. cute." (laughs) So she would have saved all the ducks, but here we are. Yeah. In the days leading up to her disappearance, a witness saw her getting into a white van near Vernon's bottles depot. Um, The witness called her father and relayed his information to the police a few days after he saw Tracy. So this witness had gotten to know Tracy and her parents because he saw her sitting by the road working as a sex worker, supposedly, in 2016. And he just spoke with her and would see her around often. So he would always, you know, come up to her and he tried to help her get out of sex work and to get her off of heroin. And he even worked with her mother one time to try and get her hospitalized for medical treatment. Wow. So he was like a stranger, just a good Samaritan. Right. Trying to do, just trying to help, which I thought was really sweet. That's very sweet. We're going to move on. Nicole Bell. She's the last one. Nicole is 31 at the time of her disappearance. She was last seen on September 2nd, 2017 in Sycamus. Her mom describes her as fun, energetic, and as a super mom. Nicole lived in Malacqua and is the mother of three children. Nicole is the oldest of five, and she always looked out for her siblings and friends. She was extremely close with her grandmother and was heartbroken when she died. She loved the outdoors, kids, and pets, and I guess even snakes. And her mom, like, she would come home and be like, can I keep it? And her mom would be like, no. God, no. I was like, that's so cute. Uh, Her mother was out of town at the time of her disappearance, but she said Nicole was having issues, although she stated that she knew that Nicole wouldn't put herself in any, like, precarious situation. Right. On September 2nd, while her husband was away for work, she updated her Facebook, but that was the last she was ever heard from. Although her home was north of Sycamus, her cell phone was discovered later in Salmon Arm. Wow. It's extremely out of character for her to be without contact with her family, especially her three young children. Nicole's mother has claimed that the RCMP do communicate with her, but she isn't told much and anything that she is told, she's not allowed to say. And she keeps close contact with the family of the other missing girls. Wow. That's good. Right? I thought that was really awesome. And missing and murdered indigenous women drone search team has helped Nicole's mother in several searches. So even though not all these girls are indigenous, they're being helped by that right. whole movement because it's just for women. So let's get into theories because I got some info. Uh, man with a firearm. It's all we know him as. The RCMP warned of a possible risk to the general public and women sex workers when a woman reported a man threatening her with a fire- firearm in the North Okanagan area. On October 13th, investigators arrested a 36-year-old local man to Okanagan and Shuswap areas, and they released him without charges. He was known, a known drug user, 5'6", 140 pounds with dirty blonde hair, although they did not identify this person. Curtis Sagmoen, 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 sorry. Sorry, not sorry. He's an ass. All right. 
He's 38. He was charged with six offenses related to an incident involving threatening a sex worker with a firearm near Falkland. He was charged with disguising face with the intent to commit offense, intentionally discharging a firearm while while reckless, uttering threats, careless use of storage of a firearm, possessing a weapon for dangerous purpose, and possession of a controlled substance. Jeez. I know. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) He was released on time served and had 36 months probation. He was also charged with assault in 2013, which landed him in jail, landed him 30 days in jail and two years probation. So he was arrested for that, but released. Yeah, of course. On the day of Tracy Jeanneroux's disappearance, Sag, whatever, I don't know how to say his name. Saggy balls. Sag Moen. Sag Moen? Sag, hmm. Curtis was stopped in Vernon for vehicle-related offenses. It was like lights that didn't, whatever. It sounded like he had headlights that were like those annoying bright ones that shine yeah. in your balls, and you're like, you're uh-huh. a dick. <laughs> RCMP began investigating a property on sh- in Shushwap on October 19th, 2017. So this is just a few days after he was arrested, which is a multi-day search with many investigators and heavy-duty equipment. On October 21st, 2017, human remains were found on that farm in Silver Creek, which rests just a little south of Salmon Arm. That farm was owned by Curtis's parents. The Hmm. search ended abruptly in November. Those remains, through DNA, were proven to be the remains of 18-year-old Tracy Jeanneroux. However, the police never stated exactly how the identification of Tracy's remains were made. They just state that there was an autopsy and the coroner confirmed Tracy's identification. They also confirmed that they were searching via divers in the Salmon River, which flows through the farm's property. RCMP state that the owners, Curtis's parents, have been cooperative. As an active homicide investigation, the RCMP is giving no, next to no information about the murder. No charges have been filed. Wow. I wonder why they stopped searching. Like, isn't it a big farm? I think so. It's 24 acres. So it's big. It's not huge, but it's big. It's pretty big, yeah. I wonder why they stopped searching. I think we're all wondering that. (laughs) The warrant that led to the investigation of the farm has been sealed in court, and there was a second search site 15 kilometers northeast, which I didn't do the mileage. It's less mileage, whatever, near Springfield, Springbend Road and Highway 97B, which is no one has hinted as to what prompted these two searches. Hmm. A neighbor told a story regarding sex workers making frequent visits to the rural areas around the farm. The man claimed he called police the month before the remains were found because he noticed the barefoot prints of a woman. He stated, one young lady was running away. We saw her tracks. First she drove and went into the ditch, and then we saw that she ran up the hill really, really hard, barefooted. We reported it right away because we knew something was happening. The story has not been confirmed by police. Hmm. Police have been extremely careful and are not linking these five cases together or linking Curtis to these cases. Relatives and community members alike are worried that they are all linked for obvious reasons. Yeah. Before we like discuss our theories, I want to talk about a little bit about the things that are happening recently as this month, November. So an article that was posted on multiple news sites um, by Kelsey Kalana Kalana um, was published on November 4th, 2020. Mm-hmm. Police were back at the farm this past autumn. Supposedly Curtis breached his probation condition conditions because in June he was sentenced to five months in jail and three years probation for hitting a woman with his ATV. And apparently <laughs> she like flew through the air. Holy and, shit. And, yeah. Um, however, he had, but she's okay. She's okay. You can't, I just can't name her because she wasn't named anywhere. Um, yeah. He had credit for time served and walked out of the courtroom a free man that day. <sighs> there were protests outside the courthouse. Mostly, I would hope so. Mostly of indigenous women singing the Woman Warrior song and chanting Gone But Not Forgotten. Curtis can even be seen in a photo, which I will send you, smoking. Um, and watching the women sing and yell out the missing women's names at him. His father has been seen, was seen on the back porch filming the women who called out for him to come hear the truth, but none of the family joined them, except for 
some moment, I guess a tractor drove up behind the cops and shone like a light on the women or the participants, because I'm sure there were men there. Um, the past month, women from the Sioux and Sequatmic territories arrived at the farm wearing ribbon skirts, bandanas, and the color red. They were crying out for justice for the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in Canada. The ceremony was meant to cleanse and protect the families of the missing women. They shared medicines, prayer, and song. All five women were honored. The woman told the crowd about Canada's um, murdered and missing and indigenous women and girls inquiry, which is organized by the Canadian government, which has failed and been highly con controversial and ineffective, which is the one run by those white people I talked about earlier. Yeah. And then I just wrote, no justice, no peace. Mm -mm. So that's that. <laughs> Dang. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of nothing. Like it's not nothing, but like the information that we have right. that could be is nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, really, I don't know. That's how I feel. <laughs> I think, well, and I'm wondering if it's like, I don't know Canada's rules with speaking about, you know what I mean? Like what do they publicize about criminal I understand that they have to keep some things close so that like only the right. killer could re reveal it, but. But it's like, they're not even. Giving any hints or any clues so that not so much so that they can like pique our interest about it, but more so, so that maybe if someone has more information, they can come forward or, and right. like, you can get more information against whoever you're building a case against or anything like that. But it doesn't even, so this was two years, this is three years ago. Yeah. That human remains were found. Yeah. And it's like, what have you done since then? Nothing. Yep. Drag it out. Yeah. Like drag it out. Maybe people will forget. But yeah. their families aren't going to forget. No. Their young children are not going to forget. No. Ooh. Neither were we. Mm -mm. And all of the articles I read were like interviews with their family members. Yeah. That's where I got most of my information. And some of those I probably basically read the article off. Um, I tried to reword things so that I wasn't like plagiarizing, but I I did cite I cite everything. I copied everything. So good. No plagiarism. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't come at me. <laughs> tried really hard. Tried really hard. Um it's just all your old English teachers <laughs> <laughs> coming at you with pitchforks and that's my mom. And <laughs> right. Gone. She's gone. So there's no, she can't get me. <laughs> Unless it's in spirit. She slaps me upside the head. Right. Ugh. Um, I did read, I had like other things noted. The article I mentioned that talked about the school, the residential school, um, was written by Susan Nalen. And it was in an article called Canada's Dark Side, Indigenous Peoples in Canada's 150th Celebration. So this was two years ago in June. And I wrote like certain things. So in 1927, from 1927 to 1951, it was legal to hire a lawyer or actively pursue Indigenous land. Of course. Um, from the 30s to the 70s, forced sterilization programs in British oh, Columbia no. and Alberta. It did say, like, it didn't say it specific, like, the way she said it, it was just disproportionately administered to Native women. So I think other women were involved, um, which, who, what? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, by the 60s, Indigenous peoples made up for 4% of the population of Canada, but Indigenous children made up of 40% of legal wards of the state. Thousands were removed from their parents and adopted yeah. indigenous families. These numbers have increased since the 1960s. Half of all children under the age of four in Canadian foster care are indigenous. Wow. Crazy. Certain court cases with all white juries have acquitted or dismissed charges in certain murder trials for slain indigenous youth. And then there are 24 started 38 proposed 22 underway and 10 complete these are the numbers of calls to action that are in motion and in 2018 only 10 were complete so in two years they've completed nothing nope no surprise there so 
get it together, Canada mm -hmm. and America. But and like, America. Canada, you're supposed to be better than us. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking Let's be up. polite. <laughs> so I don't know. You have any thoughts? <sighs> a lot. It, it really is a lot. I honestly, like, it just upsets me and angers me more so that, like, these aren't really actively being pursued because of one reason and one reason only, because they don't feel like Indigenous lives matter, you know? Right. Or sex workers. Or, or sex workers' lives matter. Or anything of that sort. Women. Yeah. <laughs> Literally women. Uh-huh. Ugh. So I think that's, like, it just more so frustrates me. And, like, they're not even moving forward with anything. Right. They're not revealing anything so people can come forward and help. Even to their family members. Like, that's the part that, so I guess when the remains were found, they just told all the families that it has nothing to do with your daughter's case. Yeah. And they, I mean, they, I think they collected DNA and stuff to make sure. I don't, I don't know how they decided who it was um right because they won't really say but it's just also hush hush and i don't right that's what i don't get yeah and that guy is still free yeah but there yeah. was bones on your land like what do you uh... who knows <sighs> so I know as a European, I just want to put this like a little disclaimer out there before I close out. I know as a European descendant, this is not my story, but I do want to give marginalized people as much of a voice as possible. So if this is your story or like your story, I would like to make Mr. Radical a place that you can use your own voice. And I know we joke around and talk about aliens and ghosts and black eyed, creepy children and whatever. But all in all, we're here to provide awareness and maybe one day we can even provide some answers. If you have a story regarding missing and murdered indigenous women, we want you to join us. So please come and tell your story. For sure. As for Caitlin Potts, Ashley Simpson, Deanna Wirtz, Tracy Jeanneru, and Nicole Bell, if you or someone in your family has any information regarding any of these women, please call Crime Stoppers at one 888 222-8477. You can also call the Vernon RCMP detachment at 250-545-7171, the Enderby RCMP detachment at 250-838-6818. And then this one, I don't have the town, but they gave another number for the RCMP, which is 877-987-8477. Or whatever your nearby RCMP detachment number is do not call the emergency number <laughs> that is for emergencies or if you'd like to share your own theories or stories please feel free to email us at mrreticle at gmail.com follow us at mrreticle on instagram facebook twitter and tiktok and don't forget to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts don't play with strangers and don't trust your government no justice no peace We are ready. Bum, ba, dum, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs>